want to thank Andrea, Pastor Andrea, and one of our newest pastors, Pastor, Pastor Gaspar Colon, for covering the pulpit the last couple Sabbaths. I think Gaspar's here, and May Ellen, are you guys here? Yep, there they are. Good to see you, and I enjoyed his message. Aren't we glad to have them here with us? It's a tremendous blessing. Yes, we can. It is just a tremendous team that we have, and I just praise God for, uh, for what he's doing, and uh, so glad to have Gaspar's uh, wisdom with us and uh, experience. We won't say age, we'll say experience with us, and he's a tremendous blessing already, and so we're so grateful to you, brother, and what a good message that you delivered. Before we begin, let's, let's bow our heads for another moment of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much. We pray truly that you will come, Emmanuel, and be God with us in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. You may recall from my sermon December 24th that I said one of our major focuses for 2017 is that we uh, take the warmth that we've been working on in here within these walls and, 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 and the fellowship that we've been trying to build within our, our church family and that we now, after a couple of years, we extend it out beyond our walls into our neighborhoods and our, and our workplaces. And at the conclusion of that sermon, and I want to say, by the way, thank you to our uh, Spencerville Academy students who are doing the His Team today and they're opening the doors and assisting with us today. But at the conclusion of that sermon, I invited our church, you may remember I invited our church and those watching to respond, to commit to prayerfully ask the Lord to help to reach one person in 2017. And I asked you to pull out your connection cards, as I often do, and 16 of you responded affirmatively. And I praise Jesus for those 16. And I pray that there were more than 16, but you just are connection card averse or something of that nature, which some are. I know that I'm working on overcoming that. The moment someone tells me, why don't you do this? I say, well, why don't I not do it? But I, my staff commented on it, a couple of my staff commented on it, man, we've only got 16 cards. And, and I said, hey, we praise Jesus for those 16 and we're so excited for those 16. But I know that some people, because see, I know that some people the moment they hear such appeals, they, they tune out because they think to themselves, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher, you know, I don't know how to just immediately give a Bible study. I don't know how to just approach someone and immediately have that conversation. I haven't gone through any of the contagious Christian or contagious Adventist studies. And you probably heard pastors say things and you probably heard this pastor say things like, we're all evangelists. We're all called to be evangelists. Have you heard a pastor say that? Have you heard me say that? You can nod. It's okay. I was pondering the response of only 16. I told my staff, yeah, praise the Lord. We're glad for those 16 that are going to uh, reach one person for, committed to reaching one person for Jesus this year in 2017. And I was pondering that, though, but when I was home recovering... I was pondering this. There's, it's, that's the great thing about laying on your back all day. You, uh, you can ponder a lot of things. And this is one of the things I was, I was pondering. Why only 16 respond? Is it the cars? What is it? Why only 16 respond? 
I was pondering this idea that all God's followers are evangelists. These were two of the many things that I was, that I was thinking about. So I want to talk about that today. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm reading from the New International Version today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll begin in verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. Paul here writes to the church in Corinth. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of all different kinds, and of different kinds of tongues. But then Paul continues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now there's no direct mention here of evangelists in, in, in this passage, in that passage, but it does designate that there are certain people that possess certain skills and, and certain gifts to, 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 to do certain tasks, tasks within the body of Christ. In fact, verses 29 and 30 are a series of rhetorical questions clearly to bring out the point that, that no, not everyone has the same gift. Is all, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all apostles, do all do miracles or possess the gift of healings? And the obvious answer that Paul is wanting us to give is no. Not all possess these gifts. Not all possess these gifts. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, Galatians. And then Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave them to the church, we would say, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here in the book of Ephesians, in this text, we see that Christ gave certain groups, certain individuals to the churches so that they might help those who don't have these gifts become equipped to do maybe these works of service, but also other works of service as well. And one of those listed individuals in Ephesians 4 is an evangelist. This would lend me to believe that Paul is saying some are evangelists, some are teachers, some are, some are apostles, but then some are what? Not. Some are not. Not all of us, this is what I was pondering and what I was thinking about, because I'm always one that says we're all evangelists. As I was reading, as I was studying this, and as I was thinking about this, not all of us are evangelists. In fact, when I thought about this, I realized, confession, that that I've had a judgmental spirit towards some who don't consider themselves evangelists. In my family, Christine and I joke about how when I get on an airplane, I pray the prayer, Lord, give me the opportunity to 
talk to somebody. And Christina gets on an airplane and she prays the prayer, Lord, please help no one to talk to me. (laughs) And we joke about that, but I have to confess, and I confessed it to my wife as well, that always though we laugh about that, in the back of my mind, I've thought to myself, she really shouldn't tease like that. She should want to talk to people. She should want to be an evangelist. She should start conversations and engage people. But as I was thinking about this, I realized the Bible teaches that we are not all evangelists. Now, some of you may be thinking, Phew, Pastor, you just let us off the hook. We don't have to reach anybody for Jesus in 2017. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you really think I'd say that? I think you all know me better than that by now. No, we are not all evangelists. Some of you are, probably more of you than realize, have the gift of evangelism. But I do believe the Bible teaches that we are all to all live lives that provoke people into evangelistic dialogue. We are not all evangelists, but we are all called to live lives that provoke people in some form or some manner into evangelistic dialogue. Let me show you what I mean. Let's turn to one of the primary verses today, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Thank you, Taya, for reading this. We appreciate our young people involved within our worship service. Colossians chapter 4. It's hard for you to find. Remember, go eat pizza, Chad. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, speaking of the apostles, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise, verse 5, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Notice in this passage that Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray that doors will be opened for, for him and for his companions to preach the message. He asked them to pray that, that he may proclaim Uh, the message, that he may preach it clearly, that that he may have boldness in preaching the message. But also notice, he doesn't invite or encourage the Colossians to necessarily pray this same prayer for themselves. Rather, he says to, to these church members, some of these believers that are there, they are to pray for the evangelist ministry. That's one of their responsibilities. He said, the believer is to pray for the evangelist ministry and for themselves they are to pray this that they are wise in their conduct, in other words, in their interaction with other people that don't believe, that they're wise in their interaction with those who don't believe, and that they're ready to answer any questions that may arise from outsiders, as Paul refers to them, or unbelievers, that may arise as a result of the way these Christians are living and speaking the way these Christians are living and speaking. So is, there is the evangelist that is out there to just boldly and clearly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. 
And then there is the believer who is to live and speak in such a way that others are motivated to ask questions, evangelistic questions about God. We looked at Ephesians 4 already, and later you all can look at at, at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 as well. And from these passages, it seems clear that Paul sees the gift of being an evangelist as limited to certain individuals. We see in Timothy that it's locally within the church that he sees an evangelist to be, to be a minister locally within the church to, to strengthen the local church, to make it more evangelistically focused and minded. Ephesians 4, or 2 Timothy but also that it's to be global as well, that it's to be a global thing. Paul sees evangelism as both local and global. Paul clearly probably sees himself as a global evangelist. Some believers are to function in this way. It seems probably fewer rather than the majority. The majority of you aren't called to be an evangelist in the same way that maybe I would be called to be such or Anthony Kent or some others. But the majority of believers are still responsible, they're responsible for praying like crazy and they're responsible for living their lives in such a way as to provoke unbelievers to question their beliefs and thus to enter into evangelistic dialogue. Peter affirms this concept in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Be ready to give an answer, Paul says, with, with gentleness and with respect. Answers to questions it seems from what Peter is saying, that are motivated by the believer's good behavior, by how the Christians are living. Not because they sat down on an airplane seat next to them and said, hey, let me figure out a way to talk to this person about Jesus. Not because they knocked on a door and not because they they stood up on a street corner and preached. I think these are all good things and I think many of us should be doing these things. But, But it seems that that more of us are called to simply to live in such a way that it would provoke people to begin to question who we are and why we are that way. Let me summarize. Amongst believers, there are some who are gifted evangelists. These individuals need to be mobilized and sent out and set free to boldly proclaim and to give studies and, and to just initiate conversations about Jesus. This is some of us in the aisles of the grocery store. This is some of us in in our immediate conversations with our neighbors. And the rest of the believers, though, are are to be inspired, encouraged, motivated, and trained and equipped to live, as I would call, questionable lives. Where people look at those people and say, wait a second, something is different. I've got to ask them what's going on. I've got to question this. In our family, we have definite evangelists in the Stewart family. We have definite evangelists, myself and Dayton. Dayton is a, is a definite evangelist. I used to think, uh, just, until just the last couple of weeks, I thought to myself, well, 
Landon's more like his mom. He's probably not going to just immediately dialogue with someone about this. Dayton's the one we tell him to hug whoever. I mean, I tell him to hug, go, go, you know, hug that post, and he'd probably do it. Okay, Dad, whatever you say, I'll hug anything. He loves to hug. He's like his dad. He'll hug anybody. I tell Landon to go and hug someone, even someone he knows, and Landon walks up to him like this, and then he turns his back and goes... So I didn't think Lana was evangelist until, just just quick side story, until just while I was at home, uh, Lana mentioned something about vampires, and we're like, vampires? And we told him, uh, Christine and I immediately were like, hey, don't talk about vampires. He didn't even know what a vampire was, but he was talking about vampires. And we said, you don't want to talk about vampires. He said, why not? I said, well, they're not real, and, and they represent things from Satan. They're from Satan, and so you don't want to talk about them. I said, by the way, where'd you hear about vampires? And he told me where he heard about it. And I said, well, next time you, you, that kid brings it up, just walk away and say, and you can just say, vampires aren't real anyways. I don't want to talk about it and just walk away. I said, but, you know, only if they bring it up. I told him, only if they bring it up, you don't need to mention it otherwise. Landon comes uh, to me one afternoon. I was laying in bed and, and uh, resting and, and, uh, on, on my meds, and Landon comes and he jumps on the bed next to me, which feels really good when you're recovering from surgery. <laughs> and he said, Daddy. And I said, what, buddy? And he goes, I told this individual that uh, vampires were from Satan and they're not real. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, why, were they talking about them again? And he said, no. I said, well, I told you not to say anything unless they were talking about them. Why'd you say something? He's like, I, I just felt they needed to know they're from Satan. So maybe he is evangelist too. I don't know. So, uh, so maybe we have more than one evangelist within our, within our family. We'll see about what Levi is. But we have, we have, in our family, we have definite evangelists, and then we have some that are not. Christina is probably not on that, on that scale. By the way, just I'm thinking about this. I asked Landon, I said, so how did the child respond when you told them that? And she's, uh, he said, they said, Landon's dad, bleh. So... If you've ever felt that way, a six-year-old agrees with you. <laughs> Anyways, we have in our family evangelists and we have some non-evangelists. But both are just as important. Folks, listen to me. Both are just as important for reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ. Just as important. But let me put you at ease. Not all of you have to be evangelists. The moment we talk about reaching someone for Jesus, some people pull in and they say, oh, well, I can't do this. I can't, I can't give a Bible study. I can't, I can't preach. I can't just can immediately start a dialogue about that. Again, some of you, there's probably more of you than you'd realize that can, but not all of you have to be evangelists. But all of us should live questionable lives, lives that provoke others to ask questions. Both Paul and Peter said that we should live in such a way that people are asking questions about who we are and what we believe. I'm going to share with you over the rest of this series some very easy things that we can do. In fact, an acronym that will help each of us live questionable lives. Lives like the fourth century Christians 
or as Emperor Julian referred to them as, atheists. Fourth century Christian atheists live. Normally we hear stories about the amazing evangelists of history. We hear about Dwight L. Moody and, and John Wesley, and we hear even in our own faith community about people like, like HMS Richards or, or William Miller, these, these great evangelists who do some amazing things. But I want to tell you about some people that scared Rome, and we don't know their names at all. They weren't evangelists. It wasn't the evangelists that made Emperor Julian the most nervous. In the brutality of the Roman rule, the Christians were standing out in stark contrast to the brutality of the Romans. They were standing out in stark contrast because not because they were preaching boldly, not because they were they were firebrands, but because they were living questionable lives amongst those around them. Julian said this, Emperor Julian, we must pay special attention to this point and by this means effect a cure for the sickness of atheism, Christianity. He was referring to Christians as atheists because they didn't see God or gods as he saw them. For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the priests, the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of the deeds through the credit they win for such practices. For just as those who entice children, he's now comparing the Christians to another group, for just as those who entice children with a cake and by throwing it to them two or three times induce them to follow them, and then when they are far away from their friends, cast them on board a ship and sell them as slaves, as slaves, he says, by the same method, I say the Galileans also begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of table, for they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led very many into atheism, Christianity. Julian felt that the acts of kindness, their hospitality, was so enticing and his people were being led away from the empire. Not by the bold evangelists. It was not the bold evangelists that was scaring them. It was not the, the amazing preacher that was scaring them. It was not the person that was going door to door that was scaring them. He was scared by the kindness of the people, of the believers. Julian continued, why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, listen to what he credits, people leaving the empire or, or going and following the Christians. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended, he believed it was pretended, holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism, Christianity. I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of those virtues. This is what he's advising his people. For it is disgraceful that when the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Julian wanted his people to copy the 4th century Christians so people would stop leaving paganism to become, as Julian referred to them, as atheists. 
the group that scared Julian the most. In like manner, over the next several weeks, we are going to look at how we can live questionable lives in our world so that those who oppose Christianity do not fear the Mark Finleys or the Sean Boonstras or the Dwight Nelsons of our faith the most, but they, like Julian, will note, why do we not observe that it is the way they live their everyday lives that has done the most to increase Christianity? Come back next week and we're going to talk about bells. But I hope that this week we'll begin to think about the question, am I living a questionable life around the, to those around me? Jesus, I pray that you'll make all of us, the evangelists and the non-evangelists alike, Christians that live questionable lives in our homes, our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we live questionable lives uh, to anyone that we come in contact with, wherever our foot falls, that we will be living in such a way that people will have questions about who we are and why we are that way. Lord, the burden of reaching people falls on all of us, but we are not all evangelists, but we can all live in such a way that will lead to evangelistic dialogue. I pray, Jesus, that we will do so. In your name, amen.